It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Who they think they're going to beat them Bengals? It is the Locked On Bengals podcast with your hosts Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. The Bengals dropped to 0-6, and the race to the bottom is on with the Miami Dolphins, who also lost to the Washington football team today, going for two with a chance to tie it up at 17 toward the end of regulation. They don't make the conversion. They don't recover their onside kick. The Dolphins are 0-5. Washington wins its first game. Washington falls behind in the tankathon, but they probably have their quarterback in Dwayne Haskins anyway. But back to this one, let's focus in on a couple positives real quick for the Bengals. It was a great game, despite the score, despite the way the first three quarters went, for one player in particular for the Cincinnati Bengals, and that's Auden Tate. We're going to start out today by focusing on the positive. Tate made numerous hands catches away from his body high-pointed some balls, caught balls in tight, tight windows, was Andy Dalton's favorite target on the day. And that's perhaps because Andy Dalton couldn't get the ball in that accurate plus area, as PFF would say, hitting receivers in stride. Yeah, I think that's the first thing. Dalton was a little erratic today. And I think some of it is because he was feeling the pressure over accumulated pressure over the season and now a couple of years. But his accuracy was off. And you could see it when he was throwing to Erickson. You could see it when he was throwing to Boyd. But when he was throwing to Auden Tate, even though Tate had 12 targets, catching only five for 91, a career high 91 yards, the five that he did catch, it's because Tate has that catch radius, that that size, those strong hands. Man, I think all five of those were impressive grabs. I can't wait to grab these clips and show it for the rest of the NFL world that I'm sure missed this game. A few people did see some odd and Tate stuff because some national media types put some media tweets out during the game because there were some really great catches. Just when we talk about Auden Tate last week, we talked about his drop issue. No drops today. Showcase those strong hands. And as he gets more repetitions, more targets, this is what you can expect from him. A lot of back shoulder stuff. A lot of high point stuff. He's not going to get a ton of separation, although he did beat Brandon Carr on an in-breaking route that drew pass interference. He also drew, speaking of pass interference, two flags on the Ravens' secondary. and could have been one more, I think. Yeah, and looking at last week's tape, and we discussed this on last week's pod, that the the Arizona Cardinals wanted to go single high and make the Bengals throw it outside the numbers to their boundary receivers. And really, they didn't have those guys last week. Tate didn't have a great game last week, but this week, you see his impact, and the Bengals were like, "Okay, we're not going. You're not going to let us go to Boyd. 
we're going to force it to Tate, and it worked. And their whole game plan seemed to be attack Maurice Candidate. But, yeah, I, th- I say the two real positive things. We knew Tate could catch balls like this. But the real positive things were those two flags on the slant and in routes that you could see the separation or the, the nuanced route running to just to get that guy off balance a little bit before he breaks inside. It forced that guy to hold each time. And if you can do that for a big guy that's really not going to get separation often, it, it's just going to help you in the long run in terms of maybe we can go to him in more situations. Like Joe mentioned, the Bengals' game plan seemed to be target Maurice Canada, the Baltimore corner. He had nine tackles on the day. That is not something that you want to see out of a cornerback. That means that they were picking on him, and they were the whole game. Toward the end of the game, actually, Baltimore rolled Marlon Humphrey onto Auden Tate after he was following Tyler Boyd wherever he went on the field for much of the game early on. Boyd had a really frustrating day, though, too. He had a couple balls that he laid out for that he couldn't bring in. You could see him be frustrated with himself, frustrated perhaps with the way the game was going. Had one almost really great catch down the sideline before a safety came over and broke it up. I think he took three steps with the ball, personally, and I thought it could have been ruled a fumble, which Erickson then recovered and was running into the end zone. But they ruled it an incomplete pass on the field, and... I guess it wasn't worth challenging. There was two plays, actually, to talk about Zach Taylor for a little bit here that could have been challenged that were not after Taylor lost an early pass interference challenge. The other one was what should have been a fumble by the Ravens as a player was tackled on top of Preston Brown's legs. The ball came out before a knee touched the ground, was blown dead on the field, wasn't challenged, looked pretty clear on replay. Yeah, I don't think you can challenge that one because the inadvertent whistle kills the play. So there's no clear recovery by the Bengals if the if the whistle was blown before recovery happened. And then we never got a great angle, right? What if the shin was down? I, I couldn't see it on my TV because uh, they keep the score at the bottom when they're showing us the replay. The knee never goes down, that for sure. But I don't know if the shin ever touches before he loses the ball. I didn't think so personally, but you do make a good point about the whistle. I thought it was a clear enough recovery. Sam Hubbard falls on it right away. But I can see why perhaps they would have been gun-shy to challenge that one. And one other one on the play, if you're questioning, where Lamar Jackson dove forward and lost the ball, kind of similar to Andy Dalton in the Chargers playoff game, right? They have changed the rules since then. Now the quarterback is giving himself up when he dives forward. If you remember Jeff Driscoll against the Chargers last year in San Diego, very similar play. Once you dive forward, it's over. That's a dead play. Even if you hit the ground with the ball first and the ball comes out, which you could potentially argue on that play, I guess as soon as you dive forward, the ground can't cause a fumble at that point, and that's that. So the Bengals fall to 0-6 on the year. The Ravens now 4-2 with Cleveland dropping to 2-4. and The Ravens are two games clear of the Cleveland Browns, and Pittsburgh at 1-4 and isn't really in the conversation at this point. Guys, let's talk about sex. Now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up. BlueChew.com. That's blue like the color blue. BlueChew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up as twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. Let me tell you, we get free samples, and if you think Marshawn Lynch has a good stiff arm, you've seen nothing yet. Blue Chew is prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package. So no in-person doctor visits, no waiting at the pharmacy, and best of all, no awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than the pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. 
Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code Locked On. Just pay the $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com. Promo code Locked On to try it free. BlueChew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the Locked On Bengals podcast. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So the Bengals score 17 points, 10 of that coming on offense, 7 on the opening kickoff. We didn't mention Brandon Wilson takes, I think it was 92 yards on a really nice kick return. He's fast. He's athletic. I'm not even sure how many safeties are back there uh, returning kicks in today's NFL. To While well, I was going to transition to the offense, but while we're on Wilson, I, I do think it was his issue on the first uh, run from Jackson on an option play for a touchdown. But then Wilson was involved on that forced fumble when Mark Andrews tried to jump over the over him, and, and Sean Williams helped hit him also. So I, I'm interested to go back and see how much Williams played, or I should say Wilson played, and how well he played. Uh Overall, a positive performance in terms of kick returning that they didn't immediately go right back to Alex Erickson and allowed the young guy to get a chance, which is, I think, you know, at 0-6 now is definitely what we're looking for, these young guys playing. And we saw a lot of the young guys, especially on the defensive side of the ball today, even backups in the cornerback position. William Jackson got benched for a drive, and he wasn't on the injury report, so maybe he got dinged up, maybe he didn't, but saw a bit of Ronald Wren, saw a lot of Jermaine Pratt, Saw Brandon Wilson, like you mentioned, and Pratt flashed in the running game. Didn't miss any tackles that I saw. Looked like a solid tackler. And speaking of solid tackler, I wanted to take a minute to acknowledge the game Josh Tupo had. He showed up on three separate plays in run defense and made was one of the only Bengals to make an open field tackle on Lamar Jackson. For a guy of his size, that was really impressive. Also had a couple other nice run stops, getting in there, clogging things up, chasing stuff down. Really solid game for Tupo from the nose tackle position. Was one of the only defensive linemen that I really noticed standing out today. Joe, did anyone else stand out to you? I guess Carl Lawson had his first sack of the year, but they had a hard time getting their hands on Lamar Jackson. Yeah, and Lawson got his only his second start of his career, so I was interested, and I am still, to go back and watch him completely and fully. Uh, they couldn't get a hand on Jackson. And th- the biggest surprise, or I guess, I don't know, kind of a punch to the face at this point because Geno Atkins has been largely uh, forgettable for the most part, most of this year. Sure, he's made some guys look stupid as he beats them, you know, and beats their blocks, but largely he's just a guy out there lately, and I wonder if, at what point do you get disinterested or tired of it? Because you see emotions from a lot of these guys that I don't think we've seen before. And they even AJ Green last year to Andy Dalton this year, Gene Atkins, who never even wavers any, is just kind of standing out there in a lot of plays. And I, I wonder if, you know, the team right now is, um, you know, kind of falling out of it. But then you see, on the other hand, I thought two guys on defense that were running around like crazy were Nick Vigil and Jesse Bates. Vigil was all over the place, to be honest with you. There was a couple times I thought, Okay, Nick, very good play. Nice play by you. 
Jesse Bates, same thing. I thought this is his this is his best performance of the season. Hopefully it carries over because he's been largely out of position and poor this year. And uh, you know, that those are positives. I think we haven't mentioned Drake or Patrick looks like he hurt his knee pretty bad and he had to be carted off the field. And when they replaced him with BW Webb, all of a sudden I didn't notice that boundary corner at all the rest of the game. And uh Darquez Denard should be coming off the pup list this week. Maybe that's your three guys going forward. Maybe they get better there. I thought that the secondary setting the edge also got a lot better after Drake Kirkpatrick went out of the game. William Jackson struggled with this, but the safeties I thought did a pretty good job of taking out that edge blocker for the Ravens, forcing the ball back inside to the rest of the defense. And I thought B.W. Webb did a much better job of that than Drake Kirkpatrick did as well. We also talked a little bit about Mark Andrews and the tight ends. The Bengals hadn't given up a ton to tight ends this year. And in this game, Mark Andrews leads Baltimore six catches, 99 yards on eight targets, had several first downs. They targeted the tight ends quite a bit in this one because that's who their weapons are. And the narrative has been, oh, yeah, the Bengals are better against tight ends this year. They're getting beat by running backs. And they still got beat by running backs. And the horizontal game that beat them was Lamar Jackson. Mark Engram beat him up the middle, and Mark Andrews has the highest receiving total of any tight end against the Bengals this season. And to add Nick Boyle and Hayden Hurst, their other two tight ends that they use a lot, uh, caught a total of three passes for 22 yards. So the tight ends did have a big impact this week. Uh, on the flip side for the Bengals, they actually used their all three tight ends at some point. They all had a catch. Drew Sample had one he, for negative one yard as he stretched out for the line of scrimmage line as if it was the first down marker. I, I had a lot of fun watching that. But Tyler Eifert, two for 13, and C.J. Azama, two for 26. Largely not used enough, right, for the receivers that are out on the field as Damian Willis went catchless, much like he did in uh, previous weeks. It was Alex Erickson this week. That stepped up as the third guy with four catches for 47 yards. And are we really all that surprised? This is an 11 personnel heavy team. The Rams didn't use their tight ends for the most part very much last year. Gerald Everett did have a huge game for the Rams last week, but that's this year. So we should be expecting a lot of these throws to be going to the wide receivers. The running backs continue to have a hard time getting involved in the passing game. The screen game again today looked mediocre at best with some plays getting blown up one play only working because joe mixon ran through three defenders at or behind the line of scrimmage and i think they had one other one that actually worked okay i think Gio bernard gained maybe maybe picked up a first down on a screen to the right so the screen game continues to struggle and i'm not sure if it's design or if it's just personnel like the offensive line can't do enough to set up the screens for success and they're just letting guys get upfield not slowing them down at all so they can actually try to get downfield but then that's leading to it's really easy then to if if you're not touched at all we saw Matt Judon do this run with the running back and immediately recognize screen yeah that's right screens are still killing them because it can't help slow down the pass rush if you can't effectively work the screen game so the Bengals this week uh, started Billy Price at left guard. Largely didn't notice him too many times negatively. There was a couple plays early in the first quarter where I thought, uh, okay, they, you know, he's, he might start off rough this one, but I think it largely settled out. 
the surprise was quickly John Miller was pulled at right guard. I didn't see if he was listed as an injury either. It was, was Alex Redmond. It was an injury. Okay, that makes me feel much better about it because, uh, I, again, I, I have felt strongly that Miller's been their second-best lineman. And Redmond was Redmond at, at right guard. He didn't have a killer penalty, which is great in progress, but uh, he was heavy-footed again and, and couldn't get into a few guys that were crossing his face. But overall, uh you know, not the worst. It wasn't. It, here's the thing: the, the the scheme was there to protect these guys. You you didn't see it until the final drive, right, where the O line just got hammered. They the Ravens just teed off completely on the Bengals, and it looked like Dalton was under siege on every single throw. But that for through the first you know seven drives or so they had, it, I don't think the pass rush got to Dalton at all. Maybe a couple times he wasn't sacked until the final drive. And, uh, you know, that's that's really the look of the real offensive line. I think when John Jerry was okay for most of the game, you even said during the, the game, Jake, that Jerry was hidden. And it wasn't until they couldn't hide him anymore on that last drive where he was like, oh, yeah, he has no business being out there at left tackle. And neither, honestly, does Bobby Hart at right tackle when they're no. actually asked to hold up in protection. Both tackles were a mess. John Miller went out with a groin injury. He was limited all week at practice with that groin injury and I guess he aggravated it early in this one as soon as Redmond got into the game though Bobby Hart had a penalty so I think that counts they got those two next to each other again they're ready to go line up in the wrong place yeah that's right it's because Hart wasn't fully up on the line of scrimmage so you got to look to the guy that left you you put your head to where the belt of the center is and he was too far back he got a legal formation so yes that may have been some chemistry issues between them So the offensive line gets exposed when the Bengals have to pass in their drop-back passing team. But at the same time, maybe this is worth talking about, or maybe this is just a product of it being garbage time and the Ravens going to the whatever, let's just try to keep the ball in front of us defense. The Bengals did score on that drive, despite, you know, a third and 19 that they convert on a spectacular catch by Auden Tate, a couple, another really long uh, down in distance. They still scored points on that drive. So maybe they just need to open it up a little bit earlier. Maybe that's just a product of the defense is getting played in garbage time. I've got a better suggestion. Stop trying to force the run when you're averaging one yard per carry. That last drive they scored. Yeah. The defense a little relaxed for the Ravens, but you're not wasting plays trying to run it. It's hard though, right? Because you have Joe Mixon, you see this matchup with the Ravens. They don't have linebackers. They've been very bad on defense this year. And yet it takes the Bengals until the fourth quarter to crack the end zone. And you see how Dalton gets killed on that last drive. You kind of can't do that for 60 minutes or a full offensive side of the game. And you want to run the play action stuff. You want to run the misdirection. It's just there is just no substance behind it when their run game is getting one yard per carry. Yeah, Let's look to the future, Joe. I don't want to think about this game anymore. What do you say? Yep, let's do it. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, Jake, 0-6, the tank is on, I think, or something like that. The Bengals are still trying to win, and 
I think actively trying. No, wait, they've never actively tried to win, right? This is just them giving them their best effort with what they have on the field. But I'm watching the Dolphins-Redskins game, and that's a game where, you know, it's very, right at the end I'm watching it, flick it on as the Bengals are going for an onside kick. I really don't care if they get it or not, but I care if the Dolphins were going for two, just tied up the game late with a minute and a half left or so. If they are going to go for two, go for the tie, whatever the case may be in that situation. I'm like, are they trying to win right here? I mean, the coach is trying to win, right? The players are trying to win. I was very confusing two-point conversion that failed, and ultimately the Dolphins lost and uh, dropped to 0-5. But, yeah, looking at that one, that could have really helped the Bengals later on. I don't. I, I feel like the fan base, I'm talking about the Bengals now, are really starting to turn on Taylor Dalton and are just ready to turn the page overall and get to this tank mode or get to the hope that is the offseason and the draft. I think this has got to be the worst team that they've had in Cincinnati since Marvin Lewis took over 17 years ago. It's the worst start they've had certainly since Marvin Lewis came onto the team. Marvin Lewis won I think his fourth game or his fifth game when he took over the Bengals on his way to an eight and eight season. They were 0-6 when Ryan Fitzpatrick had to start those games when uh, Palmer uh, tore his UCL and his elbow. So that was 8 Yeah, but when Fitzpatrick's out there, you have a reason to be like, okay, this is going to be terrible. It's not Carson Palmer. Our quarterback is out. They've got this Ryan Fitzpatrick guy in who turns out to have some pretty fun moments over his career in the NFL sure. later on. But when he was playing for the Bengals, nobody thought Ryan Fitzpatrick was anything. And right. so that was a little bit more acceptable rather than this is the same core players that took the Bengals to the playoffs five years in a row. Well, it's missing a couple of guys. They're playing in Los Angeles, New York, Houston, other place. I guess Jonathan Joseph is long gone. but And they're four years older. They're four years older. They're hurt. Carlos Dunlap's not playing. So it's just more frustrating, I think, because they bring in a new coaching staff and you're thinking, okay, Marvelous is gone. It can't get worse. It is much worse. Because people in my mentions are saying, oh, it's a tank. The tank is on. You know, when I say, oh, your screen play design is terrible. They're like, oh, yeah, they're tanking. I'm like, they're not. They're not. This is the best they can do. Like Joe said, they're doing the best they can with what they have, which is a team with, you know, a peg leg and a straight jacket. Yeah, I think tanking needs to be defined here because you can't tell coaches and players to tank. That's not how that works. Tanking comes from personnel and management. Uh, Players want to win. They're not out there saying, oh, I'm going to miss this tackle because I'm tanking. No, it it may be a product of the atmosphere in the building where guys are a little lackadaisical and really not into it completely. But the players are out there trying. The coaches are trying to win. It's their jobs on the line, whether you're an offensive line coach or just a defensive backs coach or the head coach. So tanking needs to be defined there as as um, you're not putting the best product on the field. You're not actively looking to trade and add pieces that can help you win right now. Because the in I think any team in the league, any GM in the league would look at an 0-6 team and say, well, we're not doing that right now because obviously that would be a waste of resources when next year is now our current most, most um, uh, foreseeable goal to try and win. And depending on your team, you would look even further than that. So tanking has to be defined that way. The players and coaches are trying to actively win. And the Bengals aren't doing anything in the front office to signal tank. Unless you look at last offseason and you say, okay, sure. signing Preston Brown and Bobby Hart, that is a tank job in signings. But 
Would you really intentionally go out there and just torpedo your first-year head coach and just make him a sacrificial lamb? I mean, they did end up hiring Lou Anarumo and Jim Turner, and it's pretty much the, what, 2016-2015 Miami Dolphins coaching staff uh, reunion in Cincinnati. That was a pretty bad team. So maybe this whole year is just a punt. But the Bengals... The Dolphins. The Dolphins are doing that, though. You know, to make the argument that you wouldn't do that to your first-year coach, you might if it meant you get in position to get the quarterback upgrade you desperately need. But the Dolphins also have tried to acquire capital. That's the difference. The Bengals are not making moves to acquire draft capital. They're not trading. I mean, the Dolphins traded young guys. The Bengals aren't even trading veterans. And you go to ESPN this morning, you see that Leonard Williams from the Jets is on the trade block. Patrick Peterson's on the trade block from Arizona. There are teams that are bad that are ready to move players to try to acquire draft capital to accelerate their rebuild. doesn't look like the Bengals are interested. That means that you're trying to get it done with seven picks. And one of those picks is probably a quarterback. One of those picks is probably a linebacker. One of those picks is probably an offensive lineman. And let's say go out into free agency. And we've gone huh. on this rent tons of times. They have to go into free agency. They have to. Because if they don't, they're going to be a bad team for another three years. Yeah, even if they pick the right quarterback. We'll look at them and say, well, you haven't maximized the roster yet. You haven't maximized this window yet. You're going to have to extend this quarterback. And we're having, you know, you haven't really given it a full effort. And that's part of the... The inverse, right? When the Bengals were good between 11 and, and 15, they didn't maximize the roster. They didn't maximize the cap space. They didn't go all out to try and win. So, of course, they're not going all out to try and lose, right? They're not trading away these players. They're not actively trying to lose in the best effort possible like some of these other teams are. And we may look back at this in three years and say, that cost them. That bit them in the ass because they didn't go out there and do what they're supposed to do at 0-6. And in three years, we're halfway to the end of the Bengals' lease on Paul Brown Stadium, and we're starting to have a whole other conversation. If they can't get anything going in the next seven years, I can't see them staying in Cincinnati. Nobody wants to talk about that. I don't want to talk about that. I get a lot of questions about it, and I don't want to talk about it. They've got to get it going, right? There's an actual clock on this if they want to win over the people of Cincinnati. Now they're going to be 0-6. They've played four road games. They have six home games left, and they're 0-6. They're trying to sell tickets to these games, put butts in the seats. I, I mean, how do, you, how do you win this fan base back over? You have to start doing things differently. And I think this is going to be, what, three years of declining ticket sales now? Maybe that starts to send a message to this front office that seems to be running this very much like a bottom line and not, not much like a football team that's trying to go out there and win. Yeah. I mean, this starts the conversation up from the top down that things need to change and be different before. Um, and the, the truth is, even if they got the right quarterback, would things be different? The hope is the right quarterback would convince them that they have a window open and they would spend money. But let, let's be honest with ourselves. Does that mean it would change? Does it mean they'd be better at it? Would they spend bad money like they have? You know, because that's an argument that people make now. They spend money. Oh, yeah, they spend money on Preston Brown and Bobby Bobby Hart. So... You know, does that actually do you any good if you're not using your draft picks correctly or spending your money correctly? Well, they're not spending the guaranteed money, right? Which means they're True. not getting the guys that are actual big dollar free agents. Who's the most memorable free agent signing in the history of the Cincinnati Bengals? Well, not history. Let's say last 17 years, right, with Marvin Lewis. Is it Antoine Odom? Is that the it biggest is. biggest spend? Yeah, I did this in the offseason and put up a poll, and it was very, very... Um, 
disheartening. Exactly. Yeah, because... And the, the, the point I'm trying to make with that is you said in 2010 to 2015, 2011, 2015, whenever you want to call that window open, when the Bengals went to the playoffs five years in a row, they never went for it, right? They, they spent their 90% of the cap or whatever every year, but they never went out there and overspent in free agency to bring in a guy that can make a difference. And you look at the teams that are winning Super Bowls, maybe it's a pick swap trade, but it's a premium pick swap trade if you're the Patriots, or maybe it's a free agent acquisition and that's what's pushing them into the playoffs. Yeah, their idea of maximizing was taking a bunch of former first rounders that were busts or uh, you know, some guys that were a bit of a head case on one-year deals and seeing if they'd work out. But yeah, they would roll over $10 million of cap space every year. They would just punt it. They would just punt a, a starting Pro Bowl player, basically, into the sun and say, we don't need it. <laughs> we'll roll it over to next year. And it did it every single year. So yeah, that's not ideal. And, and that's why I'm saying it has to change, right? Because we're at a crucial point, I think, for this franchise. And no one is ready to relive the 90s, right? If the Bengals relive the 90s, they're gone. Mike oh, yeah. Brown is selling the team, whatever. They're, they're moving to wherever wants a football team that can take one, right? And some of you are going to say, oh, there's nowhere for him to go. All the, no, no market wants an NFL team right now. I would argue no market wants Mike Brown, so that's why I say selling the team. But this is a crucial point for this franchise. They, they can't sustain losing this city. And that's what we're on the path to do because this city isn't going to tolerate another decade of the 90s, especially after they haven't even had a taste of victory in the playoffs essentially as long as I've been alive. So, Jake, I watched all four quarterbacks this weekend. Did you? I watched at least bits of each of them, yes. And I saw – actually, no, I didn't see any of Tua. Oh, you didn't see any of Tua. I thought Tua had the best performance, even though Joe Burrow was really good for LSU in terms of efficiency. That offense, though. It kind of gave me some concern about Burrow because he was so efficient. They got to two third downs all game. That's it, and they were just constantly getting chunk plays. And uh, yeah, it 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 opened my eyes to a lot of. Uh, and I think Bengals fans feeling the same way because you know when I'm on Twitter, I, you get a lot of mentions, you get a lot of discussion, you get a lot of people talking at the same time, and even some fans of Dalton and you know of a, we're not that far from a rebuild or salvaging even this season. They believe there's a few of those people or start Ryan Finley right. There's there's some of those guys out there. Uh, sure. Even those people all together were, oh, man, you know, I could see a few of these guys and why they would help this team. And then there's the guys in my mentions that are like, Herbert isn't better than Finley. And I'm like, what? Oh, Finley okay. was a fourth-round draft pick. We're talking about Herbert in the top ten. I mean, what did you have you ever watched Justin Herbert throw a football? Have you ever watched hey, Ryan Finley throw a football? Because it comes yeah. out of their hands uh, about 30 miles per hour different. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that is fair. And we say, well, arm strength doesn't, isn't the end-all, be-all. No, it's not. But one guy can also move. One guy can improvise. One guy can uh, place the ball accurately over 25 yards. And I could cut it down and say 12 yards to, to beat Ryan Finley. But uh, point remains. Especially opposite field uh, right. outside that, throws from the other hash. That one throw that was dropped where he makes a guy miss, rolls around to the right, and then dumps it at 25 yards that the guy can't handle on the sideline. Are we talking about Beautiful. Herbert? Yeah, A-plus yeah. throw. Yeah, Herbert had some really nice throws in that game. He doesn't have a lot of help on that Oregon team. Apparently the offensive line is a little bit better than I initially gave them credit for, but a lot of drop passes that make his stat line look worse. So don't go box score scout Justin Herbert. 
I thought right. Joe Burrow, though, was really impressive. I thought he made some really great plays off script. I thought his accuracy downfield was really good. Yep. Intermediate. I think, yeah. I think I think he is the kind of guy that probably needs a year to sit. But I think he has all the tools. I think he could come in and be a franchise-changing quarterback if he has the right environment. There's actually a really great piece. They talked to Tim Couch, Joey Harrington, and uh, Brady Quinn about how they came into the league in these situations and they just felt like after they got ruined, essentially, they're, they're having to fix all this bad habits, bad confidence. And that's why I say, you know, you got to get these guys in the right situation. If you draft Joe Burrow and you play Andy Dalton for two weeks and then you throw Joe Burrow in there, well, that might not be the wisest course of action. Worked great for the Bengals and Carson Palmer. Part of the reason why I'd like to keep Dalton, to be honest with you. I see the way Taylor talks to him on the sideline and Dalton corrected him on a play. No, I can't read lips, but just the way Taylor said something, Dalton looked back, said something to him, and then you see Taylor like, oh, okay, yeah, 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 you're right. And, I, you know, for a first-time coach, I bet you do lean on that veteran quarterback a lot. And bringing in, bringing in a top pick at quarterback, if, if that's the case that, that, you know, if this way it plays out, having Dalton there to help, and he's a good guy, so I don't see why he wouldn't do it, right? Because a lot of quarterbacks don't want to help that young guy that's going to take your job. Um, it could help and could pay off in the way that John Kitna did for Carson Palmer. 17 million reasons why Andy Dalton yeah. would do that for the Bengals next year. I honestly don't think he's making that money anywhere else in the league after mm-hmm. this year. So He's not. If the Bengals keep him to be a bridge quarterback, I think he's probably happy to do it. They did just draft Ryan Finley. They kept Jake Dolagala, but I don't think any of that matters if you're picking in the top three. We're going to talk about this a lot this season. It's week six, and we're ready for the draft already, which isn't a good sign for the Bengals. But we're going to keep our eyes out for these performances from guys like Auden Tate and Josh Tupo. We'll keep our eyes on Nick Vigil, who was a little bit more active today. Still missed some tackles, but it was, a, it was still an improvement for him. And, and Jesse Bates had an improvement. Jermaine Pratt was the uh, third leading tackler according to ESPN. So good to see him out there making some plays. And next week they get Jacksonville, Gardner, Minshew, a little bit less mobile than the last couple of weeks. So maybe we'll actually see some pressure on the quarterback and that can give us something fun to talk about too. Until tomorrow, Bengals fans, that's going to do it for the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Have a good one. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.